welcome to the show. You are listening to the We Podcast, where we speak, we grow, we rise. I'm your host, Sarah Moneres, and I'm passionate about creating community and providing a space for speaking authentic truth, growing together, and rising above challenges and into the full power of all we were created to be. This is episode number 20 of the We Podcast. That means we've been going strong for five months already. I can't believe it. If this is your first time listening, make sure you go back and listen to previous episodes as well. What an honor it has been to be able to walk with all of these amazing women as they share their truth, story, and messages of growth. This week on our 20th episode, I chat with the amazing Rose Chattel. Rose is a mom, wife, and a Denver-based yoga teacher and massage therapist. Rose believes yoga is best practiced when aimed at connecting a person as a whole. She draws from her therapeutic background to teach full-spectrum yoga classes focused on creating efficient stability, mobility, and safe, healthy movement in the body. She believes that movement is freedom, and when movement is practiced with intention, it translates to better living. This interview is super real, vulnerable, and just amazing. Rose talks with us about a piece of her story she doesn't often share. Just a little disclosure at the beginning that we do talk about sexual abuse during this episode. So if that's a trigger for you, please just be aware before you enter. I think this is a topic that people remain the most silent about and it's one that we must talk about but I just want you to know going into this that that is a topic of conversation. I so appreciate Rose's heart and perspective as she walks us through how she healed and is moving forward beyond her trauma. This is an amazing conversation and I cannot wait for you to listen. Here is my interview with Rose. Today I get to chat with the amazing Rose Chattel. And Rose, I just had you at the We Are Women Rising meetup a couple weeks ago. First time I got to meet you in person, which was so amazing. And you did meditation and some wild like yoga poses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wild yoga poses. <laughs> <laughs> I've never used balls with yoga before. It was pretty awesome. So I, I'm excited to have you here today. I think you have a wealth of uh, information and knowledge, and I know you have a story that will just bless and touch all of us. And so I'm excited to get to know you even better. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So do you want to just kind of start out with telling us a little bit about you? I know you're a yoga instructor. And 
Yeah. Uh, sure. Well, um, it's funny when you get interviewed about yourself because you're like, wow, I've been around for a while and a lot of things have happened. So what do I tell people about? <laughs> um, but let's see. Currently, I am a yoga instructor in uh, the south part of Denver most of the time. I do regular yoga classes. I kind of lean towards the therapeutic style of yoga these days. I do a little bit of um, athletic version as well. I'm a mother. I have a six-year-old, actually today, a six-year-old boy. Birthday, happy birthday, Desi. And 19-year-old stepson. And um, I've been married to my awesome husband for the last nine years. Been together for 12 years. Um, And I'm a giant horse fan. And I guess I should not forget to mention I've been a massage therapist for the last... um, almost 14 years now in January. So wow, keeping busy, lots of hands-on, lots of community, lots of people in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I grew up small town. Uh, I wouldn't say grew up small town. I kind of grew up in Denver and then moved out to the small town, like the flip side of it. Lived in the rural part of Colorado for a little bit and been all over the States uh, as far as, well, the central part of the state as far as moving and living and just kind of uh, being a native Coloradan. Awesome. So where did you move out to? Which time? <laughs> oh, so did you move a lot? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Like not, not crazy, not like military style. So uh-huh. <laughs> um, I lived in uh, Golden when I was younger. And then um, where we ultimately ended up being was Kiowa, Colorado. So mm-hmm. um, I remember being super mad about it too, because I was oh gosh, like 15 years old and moving my sophomore year of high school from a school to that was, oh, our school out here, probably like 750 kids in my graduating class to a school of 27 kids in my graduating class. So uh, we went to this, I remember we walked in, my sister and I, small towns, they always know your name before you even get there. They knew like everything that we did, all of our activities, our whole background. (laughs) And we were just like, oh my God, this school has one hallway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For two straight weeks, seriously, silent treatment. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Ended up being really cool, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard though. We moved Aubrey eighth grade year and I remember like feeling so guilty and so bad for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a big transition, you know, it's a big transition. So, but I I think that transitions and change uh, are maybe something that I have come to just weirdly fall in love with in my life and almost um, chase after. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. I do think for her, it definitely made her more confident in like meeting new people and pushing herself outside of her comfort zone and all those things. It's interesting. I moved a lot as a kid and we were just talking the other day. I get like restless in a place after four years and it's like my mark I'm like okay I've been here four years I need to go somewhere else now (laughs) yeah I get to feeling that too I you know um I'm always afraid of becoming stagnant because I always think of like stagnant as like pond water you know if you go walk by a pond and like the way that it's all gelatinous and the way that it smells and like I look to nature a lot for metaphors and for you know I think that's come from the yoga background we really observe our surroundings and um 
when I see pond water, I don't want to be that. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect metaphor. I, yeah, I totally agree. Like that stagnant, stinky. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. So, um, so I think I really come to embrace change and I think a lot of that comes from my whole life. So uh, I don't usually talk super much about uh, my early years. I didn't have It's kind of funny because I didn't have like a super bad childhood at all. Like my parents love me. That's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. um, I got to do a lot of wonderful things with horses. Um, But I also did have uh, like some sadness and some tragedies kind of early on that I think shaped me hugely now. And um, I remember or, you know, my parents are divorced. So for the last 20 years and my stepdad and I recently started liking each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately I do have... Uh, a little bit of history of abuse as well that I try very carefully to remember is a big part of my story, but uh, it's so important to me as I just continue to become, you know, I, I think when you start to tell your story, you have to think about what parts do I want to have the most focus, right? And so it's easy sometimes when we come from trauma, I think, to get stuck there, to get like, mm really stuck there mm-hmm. and it's always been a mission of mine I guess I, without even knowing it really even when I was younger to uh, make that a footnote in my life and um, and I think that that kind of spurs spurred my uh, ease into change was just this ability to um, recognize an injury having happened yet uh, the ability to grow out of it right mm-hmm. yeah that's huge I I definitely think there's a balance there because, uh, and I can speak from childhood trauma also, that I think a lot of times people let it completely define them. And uh, I think that it is super important to know that we can grow through it and we uh, we can do things differently. We can see it differently. And I know for me personally, um, not until I was able to start speaking about it, do I feel like it totally lost its power over me too. I think that's so true. And I think that for me, I've always gone back and forth on how much to share, right? So what I really loved, I really loved the Me Too movement last year because I felt like it was exactly how much I wanted to say. You know, I'm like, I, I felt like it gave people who wanted to, really share their story, the platform and the compassion from the audience to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I think it felt like it gave people like me who've always wanted to keep certain elements of, um, you know, pretty traumatic experiences and more than one um, uh, to myself on some level with while still joining the table of all the women and saying, yeah, you know what? Me too. Like we're, we're going through these sort of things and we are, not alone, sadly. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to have the community, but you'd wish that there wasn't such a big one, I suppose. But I think it's just so interesting how how good that felt to be able to just kind of add to the to the chorus of it, and because you know it's as part of my story, I've sort of chosen not to tell on a broad scale, and I'm in front of an of in front of audience often. So, mm-hmm. um, but I do use it in my interpersonal relationships to kind of relate if I if I'm speaking with somebody directly who has experienced um, trauma, uh, sexual abuse, those sorts of things, then uh, I can relate, obviously, and share that, um, 
you can start to make that a smaller part of your story. Like it can be, a, it is, it is a defining moment. I think all of us that have been there are aware of how that shapes us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, I've always wanted to be known for something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's not your entire story. And too often it becomes people's entire story. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's heartbreaking. You know, it's a, it's so mm-hmm. interesting. It's, um, for me, the person that, that I found myself in that position with, I uh, was probably, gosh, I was younger than my son is now um, when I was experiencing the abuse. And um, it was a, someone close within the family circle. And um, so that person reoccurred later in my life after it had come out. But after it had come out, obviously had been rather shunned from the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember... The last time I saw this person, I was at, um, at my grandfather's deathbed and, and, you know, when death comes around, we tend to give people a chance to say goodbye, right? Even if they have these transgressions. So this person kind of pushed out of the family circle, but, you know, still coming to say goodbye. And I just saw this person so devastated and sad and, and very alone, actually very alone in that moment. And I remember at 15, I just thought to myself, I'm like, wow, I have the choice to, I have the ability to move on from this. And this Mm -hmm. choice that this person has made to take from me what they did, they can never take it back ever. It's a part of who they are. It's a part of their life that the loneliness of standing there in a room full of people who would have been there for you and having it to hold the hand of a dying loved one alone. Uh, that was really sad. And I actually felt so sad for him that I actually gave him a hug. And, um, and for me, that was my release moment. Just, mm-hmm. I get to move on and you're, you're staying here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I'm big on forgiveness. I'm big on compassion. And, and I say it from, from a real place of, experience, you know, from having something taken from me and, um, and then finding that moment for myself to say, Hey, uh, I forgive you. You know, Mm. I get to move on, you know? Um, and and I wouldn't say that's the right route for everyone. Obviously that's not anything I'm suggesting that you should, you know, go to your attacker and make amends. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but for me, it was very healing. I mean, I I don't, I wouldn't want to spend time with that person. Right. But I think, yeah, it's powerful. I mean, it's such an illustration of a huge part of moving forward and a huge part of letting go that maybe anger or the bitterness or the things that I think keep us stuck in those things is, you know, the opposite. I think it's a Buddha quote that says the opposite of anger is empathy. And I completely agree. And that's a, it's a, perfect example of that shift right of holding on to those things that so often people hold on to but being able to have empathy in that moment for that person and it's empowering to you more so I think people think well if I forgive if I have empathy for the other person it makes it okay but it it's, it's really the healing within your own self. That's so powerful. 
Yeah, it was definitely like a freedom for me, I think, like a freedom that way. And, and, you know, it's, uh, I do also come, you know, I love my family. They've always been wonderful to me, but I am, you know, a complete opposite of everything that they were hoping that I was going to be. Like they've warmed up to me as an adult. But like, <laughs> when I was younger, you know, we were completely different in politics still. And we were completely different in uh, even religion. So all these things that were so sacred to them, I'm breaking the mold, kind of somehow managing to be like this high GPA, well-performing teenager who's also the black sheep of their family. And so... <laughs> It was, I love that. <laughs> it was kind of interesting coming from all those things. And, uh, and I kind of have always been just a little bit of like a rebel that way, right? So um, I, I'm kind of compelled by in the moment what my heart feels and what I feel right. So, you know, seeing this person that I'd held all this resentment for through all this time, looking lonelier and sadder than I will ever be shifted me. I was just like, I, you know what, I, I can't take back the past. He can't take back the past, but I don't need him to suffer for me to heal. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of this moment that I, I let go of my own anger. They say that refusing to forgive someone is like letting someone live rent free in your head for your entire life. And mm-hmm. I wasn't willing to lend that space. So I was really happy to free myself from, from him and from that. And, um, and I, and I will say that uh, I did have a great, like an amazing boyfriend in high school. And we're still friends today. Uh, We weren't supposed to be together in the long haul, but we were very much together at that time, I think, for a really good reason, like was very healing. And he really, I think, helped me sort of get to choose intimacy, instead of have it put on me as Mm -hmm. I got older and he was just like so sweet and wonderful and I would and I'm so grateful for him because he I I feel like that relationship almost gave me back what was taken from me because it was Mm -hmm. it was always my choice and always loving and always thoughtful and we were together for years and I definitely can't thank him enough for like the place that he placed in my healing and so I think maybe having been in that position and then you know having that strength and that bolstering and that healing ahead of time maybe put me in a good space to forgive you know uh, mm. having having gotten some of that love back you know and and yeah I think that sometimes if we can see what we have around us that's allowing us to heal then we can get ourselves into strong places where we can shift especially mm. with a great support team yeah Oh, you said, I don't need him to suffer for me to heal. And that like gave me the goosebumps. It's so powerful. It's, it's, that is absolutely just huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I um, I feel terrible for him. And it's weird. It's, I swear, as I get older, my empathy continues to grow because, um, you know, having been the black sheep in my family and doing everything that I was told I should not do. And then having gone through all of those experiences and then coming to this, to this richness in my life. And I will say that I am the most fortunate person. Like, I think that I've, I've had this, it's kind of funny. I think about it. Cause I think about 
I, I had a lot of sadness and a lot of trauma and my parents, their divorce was like kind of brutal. And like, you know, mm-hmm. um, I did, I, I like fought tooth and nail with my poor stepdad. Like, I feel like that. I feel like I like literally tortured him. I'm a Scorpio. I'm like a little evil sometimes. I've learned how to use my powers of, uh, uh for good rather than evil as an adult, but <laughs> you know, um, as I, as I think about this growth and like these conflicts and these kind of sad and hard things, it's kind of interesting to me that like, I view my life now as just so positive. And I think that's why it's so hard for me to consider, or I, I'm glad it's hard for me, but it's, it's not really even an option for me to live in the past. Or I, I think of it as such a footnote because what I have focused on is building this life that I want, like this life that I really want. And, and I do, I, you know, I, I have found an amazing man and uh, he's really tolerant of all my nonsense. And um, (laughs) he really, and you know what I will say, having come from the abuse, I have had, I would say a bumpy ride with male relationships. I would say that that is something that I, I do have to admit has been shaped by by the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, I try not to think about it too much, but it does pop up sometimes. And it certainly popped up in my early twenties when my poor husband was dating me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I am so thankful for his patience and, and his love. And then, you know, I have this amazing stepson and it's kind of funny because my poor stepdad who I did torture. And I mean, there's some mutual torture there, but I I was mean, you know, (laughs) Um, we were um, uh, growing up, and I learned from him. I learned from what he did really well. And I learned from what made me angry and made me reactive as a teenager. And I have an amazing relationship with my stepson. Um, he is 19 now, but he was seven when he came into my life. Mm-hmm. And um, he and I are are just really good friends. Like, it, it's amazing. And um, actually, I'm good friends with his mom now, too. It's We have, I, I have this ability to not look at the details and kind of love people where they're at Mm. regardless of you know I'm really good friends with my husband's ex-wife that's super weird I guess but we are really our kids are the same age now she had more kids I ended up having Desi and so um so I'm so cool with the unconventional I'm thankful for that Mm -hmm. and um and then I have this beautiful son this little six-year-old who uh Oh, he's like my heart. And I will say again, that's like, it's kind of amazing to me that, um, in my healing process of finding uh, a boyfriend in high school that was so wonderful and and gave me, made me feel beautiful and and gave me kind touch back in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I had that. And then I had this husband who accepted my psycho twenties. And then I had this (laughs) stepson who, uh, allowed me to see that, you know, what maybe could have been between me and my poor stepfather and then (laughs) this son. And I will say that my son, he is beautiful and he is innocent. And at times there have been times for me when I see the children in our family, like this pure innocence, uh, that's where I maybe get a little bit of realization of, of the one thing that maybe I don't have, which is Mm. that innocence of being a child. So that's, that's definitely an interesting thing, but I also feel this huge gratitude that when in learning what I've lost, it's because of what I've gained, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm so lucky. And, you know, I've always, I went to massage school weirdly 
so that I could travel the world. Like I was one of those people that the commercials worked on. <laughs> so you'd be sitting on the couch and it was like, hey, do you want to work in exotic places? And I was like, yes. And so, um, I literally went to massage school just to see the world. And I didn't actually end up going with massage. I worked at the Broadmoor um, and then I started my own practice, but uh, the dream stayed there and I ended up going uh, with yoga. So I've been now on, I think, four yoga retreats with students and leading them and co-leading them and assisting them. I'm headed off to a bunch of them this year. And I just get so inspired in my life by overcoming obstacles and I feel so grateful for how much luck I've had there you know mm. kind of a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm soaking it all in <laughs> oh well we want to know more about your retreats here in a little bit but I I want to go back to something in it just feels like I talk a lot about the being the victim versus being a victor and making that shift in your life. And as you're talking, it's just like such a, such an example of that shift. Like you are a example of that shift, being a victim and becoming victorious um, and, and being your own hero and uh, the victor in your life and not staying in that victim place so it's beautiful oh thank you yeah and see and and that's sometimes where so knowing I was coming on this podcast this week I'm like oh what am I gonna tell her because I (laughs) I can speak so much to rising from trauma it's my life it's my whole life mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I've sat on for a long time uh, looking for the right way to help with it because I do think that while it is exciting and wonderful and amazing if you're able to see your circumstances and rise from them it's also a little bit extraordinary you know it's not something uh, especially since I've never even had counseling or anything. I've never even been with a therapist. It's, it's an odd thing (laughs) to end up doing. And I do think that some, I think I was real angry and fiery for a while. Like I would have to say that I was just definitely in the beginning of my journey, kind of like me against the world. Like I was kind of like, all right, you know what? You're going to give me a bag of lemons. I'm going to squeeze them into lemonade, you know? And I was kind of like, <laughs> totally. Oh, I'm you. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's so funny. I was on a yoga retreat with one of the gals that I knew in my early 20s, kind of right when I was dating my husband. And she has watched sort of my progression and my personality. We've been friends on Facebook since I've become a yoga teacher, right? And, um, she's like, she's like, there's just something so amazing that shifted in you. She's like, cause you were kind of mean. <laughs> I remember uh, I was very defensive. I was, I was like a fighter, uh, you know, like, I think, I think I've always like resonated with superheroes a little bit because they all have those like messed up backstories, but they're all like, you know, they like armor and stuff. And yeah, like, like a total badass. Yeah. yeah. Like they're ready to defend <laughs> like that's right like I will take you down if you try to like nothing's messing with me and yeah. I there's still trust me I'm still that but like I'm nicer about it now and I swear that uh that yoga was probably it you know I ended up landing in this teacher training 
in Littleton. And, and I, and the first I actually took several trainings, but the first training I took was really meditation heavy. And uh, that was good for me, like to sit with my thoughts and to just kind of not talk. And, and I actually got really scared, like <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, when I, we would do these 50 minute meditations and I was actually doing my teacher training uh, remotely. So these people were in Texas and I was at home. And so I could cheat like a little bit on the meditation because I would get kind of scared and I would have, um, I would be sitting there listening to it. And then my mind would start going through things. And I, I would stop. I would just, I would be like, okay, I, that was good. 20 minutes meditation. Y'all finish. I'm going to go over there and have coffee or something because it, it really stirred me. And I'm kind of grateful that I did it remotely. Cause I think it would have really freaked me out if I had been there for that full 50 minutes in my, in that time in my life where I really didn't have any self-awareness at all. And I was starting to gain it. Mm-hmm. So then of course I start doing these practice and I start calming down. And like when someone said something to me, I wouldn't like jump down their throat. And my husband was going through this progression at the same time. Like this is the time in our lives when he stopped having road rage. Because of yoga. Uh, and uh, then I took my second teacher training and there was just this incredible focus on uh, philosophy in yoga and mm. Um, a lot of ideas around you being responsible for yourself. And, um, and I'll probably talk about that more at the end of the podcast because that's kind of my big, uh, that's my big revelation as a human being. But um, I, the instant that I started realizing that I was accountable for my own like actions, like regardless of what happens to me, I think that's where I started being like, you know, I actually don't even want anybody to give me an excuse. I don't want to, I don't want an excuse for how I'm acting because it's so easy to say, well, this person's been through this. So when they do this, it's related to their blah, blah, blah. And, and I didn't mean the blah, 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 like this, you know, like, a, like, um, what would you say? Disregarding mm-hmm. people's stories. That's not it at all. It's just mm-hmm. that sometimes I realize, sometimes I realize that my behavior comes from somewhere <laughs> and right. I know that. But totally. I, still I still don't want to be allowed to be uh, that way uh, that I'm acting because of my actions. It doesn't matter. Like if I've been through something and I want to be something else, then I have to, I have to learn how to take accountability. But it also gave me this incredible connection to like, um, uh, it helped me and it might sound this I don't want to offend anyone with either, but um, kind of more of a real connection with God and the mm-hmm. universe it's not that yoga is religious. It's definitely, it can be, anything can be religious, but no, no one ever practices religion on accident, you know? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So it can definitely be that way. You know, I think during my youth, I also got a little bitterness resentment for the church because I felt unheard by them, I would say. And weirdly through studying Hinduism and finding themes and things like that, I actually started to forgive the church too, and to understand, mm-hmm. uh, and, and to understand, you know, I thought when I was reading these stories about like Vishnu and Hanuman and all these things, I'm like, why am I so open to the morals and the lessons of these stories, whereas I wasn't uh, to as much to the teachings of Jesus and etc. And I think it really had to do with, you know, where I was in my life and how it was presented and all of these things where I just get to dabble in these stories and reflect them on my life as a, yeah. uh, 
as an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see how just these different ways of looking at things also gave me the ability to look at things differently from my relationships to my religious experience, everything. Yeah, I can totally identify with that. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's For a sure. Thing, you know, I think mm-hmm. there's, a, I think it's a really hard place to go through. You know, I was a pretty diehard church attendant when I was younger, even when, even like when my family wouldn't go, I would like go. And it was like a Southern Baptist church and they were like real serious. <laughs> And, uh, and I was like, yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with like that one thing you said, but you're not really allowed to say that, you know? Um, right. Yes. I, think, um, I was always like, how come you get a soapbox every week <laughs> and no one can ask you questions, you know? Um, totally. So really tough for me when I was younger. But if you actually like look at the Bible and you read it, there's actually some like pretty amazing stories in there <laughs> and some totally. great things. And, um, and I feel that way too about uh, most of the spiritual texts. So I do think that for me, a connection with something greater than yourself is no, it's, it's an essential thing. You have to have it. Otherwise it always feels like your problems, you know, and it doesn't, yeah, you know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be the same for everyone in my book, but you need to feel like the troubles and the frustrations and the heaviness of the world have a bigger picture. Totally. I think we have a human need to believe in something bigger than ourselves totally yeah Mm -hmm. I mean I think that I went back and forth on that and you know like in my rebel face like I was Mm. like I don't need anything like that (laughs) I am fine and blah 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 and you know what if I'm going to hell then I'm taking a condo by the lake of fire and that was just (laughs) you know (laughs) and (laughs) yeah I was like a firecracker (laughs) yeah so I can yeah it's great now to to have like a softness and a love for uh, just what I feel around me, you know? And I think, uh, I think I learned how to do that by not talking so much and tuning inward and, and being less in your face. Like, uh, and so I have this great love for quiet and silence and meditation because I, I think that when we turn off our own sound box, <laughs> we sometimes we hear, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And it's, it's like when there's trauma, when there's things experienced at such a young age too, and I can totally identify with everything you're saying. Like we have very similar histories. I think I had a chip on my shoulder for a long time and made terrible decisions when I came to my relationships with men. And really, I think for me, constantly just seeking to be loved and I think experiencing sexual abuse at such a young age then I think I correlated love with that right and the physical piece but it it's yeah it took me a long time I mean in a progression to learn differently but I think that in a way we we move into this like protection Place. Like I need to protect myself constantly from everybody around me. Right. And I need to make sure that I am always safe. And it's really hard then to be vulnerable or to let down your guard and really truly connect with yourself or connect with other people when you're constantly in that protection place. And 
you were talking about going to yoga school and for me i think counseling school was the big shift for me and like getting other information because i also grew up i grew up my dad's uh he was a southern baptist preacher <laughs> of course right <laughs> yeah, i know i'm like amen sister i could totally identify with that yeah and very they're they're just i think it was a lot of shame and so a much. lot of yeah so much um so that's so interesting that you say that because the shame piece because um i think about something that breaks my heart a little bit from that point in my life and um i remember that i was not much I probably similar age to my son. And maybe it was, I don't know that like, uh, that was a time. It's hard to remember that shit time in your life. Like how, how far apart was this and that when you're so young. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but I remember being very young and there happened to be a conversation about sex, uh, within Sunday school, something like that. And it was listed as like this sin, right? Like this shaming thing. And one thing that I think maybe a little callous towards the church when I put myself on reflection was I was uh, very young and I hear this and obviously having not chosen any of these interactions that happened to me, I then am feeling like I have committed a sin that mm -hmm. I cannot take back and that I had no part in. And I truly did. I was afraid of that I would go to hell for it when I was yeah. young. I actually uh, went through that. So that goes again to that healing uh, experience with my high school boyfriend was, again, I thought to myself, okay, and this was maybe some of my rebellion from the church as a teenager. I'm like, okay, so I went through this experience that I did not choose, right? I went through this experience of being touched in ways that I wouldn't have picked or I didn't even understand, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah. um, as I get to a teenager and then I choose to have this intimate relationship with someone who loves me and cares me and uh, ultimately heals me in a way. And then that is sin. I struggled with that a lot because I thought that doesn't make sense. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was a lot of um, back and forth for me there. I think sexual shaming is, is such a hard thing. And I think I did struggle with that. It sounds like you did also. Mm -hmm. uh, I think all women who've been um, abused in any part of their life go through a phase of being confused about how to express themselves sexually. Uh, and I am a super sensual person. So my, uh, my aunt always walked with like this sway, like her hips are like really sway. I do too. And, if, and a lot of people comment on it when they see me. But when I was younger, uh, like teenager, I'd get made fun of for it because I was curvy and wavy and like mm. all these things. Like, well, what are you trying to suggest? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just how I move. And yeah. And as I got older, I began to have this uh, confusing relationship with sexuality and sexuality and appropriate behavior and inappropriate behavior and guilty and blah blah blah. And how could you do this? And how did you end up in this situation or that situation? And I ended up in situations that definitely sucked and made me feel like slut shamed and things like mm -hmm. that. Before. And then again, healing adult relationship with my husband. So lucky that way. And I just kind of realized, you know, that there is sensuality, there's sexuality, there's sexual touch, there's, there's healing touch. There's all these different ways to be. And I do think I had like a second empowerment when I kind of embraced my, my sexual side 
within my own choices with mm -hmm. somebody who I chose. Again, two times I think I had that. And the second time, you know, I feel completely fine nowadays wearing a low cut shirt and being like, actually, I'm doing this for me. You know, mm -hmm. I have a nice cleavage. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to show you how nice it is and you're going to admire it without saying nothing. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to walk with my little sachet and you're going to deal with it. Or right. I'm naturally flirtatious to women and to men, like, and not, not in a sexual way. So mm -hmm. if you interpret it, that's yours. And I think that that was a huge, a huge coming for me because I, I remember being kind of hurt and confused sometimes by how my, how my um, sensuality and my sexuality and my flirtatiousness was perceived or absorbed or interpreted as an adult yeah. and I do think totally. it comes from that confusion when you're younger mm, totally uh yeah it's it's wild like how I yeah your story of being little and hearing that in church I have almost the exact same yeah, that's so uh, yeah I know but and and sitting there my little because I was probably around the same age as you probably five four or five um again you know your little little child brain the whole timeline is is always a little fuzzy but yeah definitely sitting and hearing this is a sin you're going to hell and i even remember when i was a teenager and i did start becoming uh sexually active to my choice i remember my mom finding out and um sitting me down and it was this big thing right like what are you doing and i i remember saying well what's the point i never had this innocence anyways i'm already going to hell so oh. <laughs> why oh. not do it well right yeah. <laughs> oh. i was so like particular about mine like my my high school boyfriend was like a saint like if i if i think about like what like the timelines i made him wait to do things and, like <laughs> His tolerance level for that was just amazing. And I yeah. had all these like rules about like where the next phase was going to happen. And, and, um, and he just completely honored it. And I, I mean, I think that shows what men can, can participate in the healing mm -hmm. process as well. Huge. Um, and it's just kind of, you know, I, I don't know had I not met him. So if I had not moved to this podunk town and I had not ended up, you know, uh, in the same class with this kid and all these things, I don't, I don't know where I'd be in my healing because mm -hmm. when I look back on it and then I hear even young women tell me about their dating experiences now, cause you know, I talk to teenage girls periodically, massage, yoga, yeah. kids, daughters, etc. I, I'm kind of horrified <laughs> because I feel uh, that my experience was so different, you know, and I, and I feel so grateful that I met this boy that cared when I was younger and it really shaped so much of my future with men uh, based on that kindness and that mutual respect. And, and it, it, it's just so, um, I think teenage, and, and I'm not trying to tell anybody how to live, but I do think when you're a teenager, sometimes there's an innocence and a quietness and a self-discovery uh, in sexuality that's a little bit more innocent than, mm -hmm. than when you start when you're an adult, you know? And so, so it's very hard for me, having had my experience, to even imagine calling that shameful or sinful, you know? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I kind of try 
uh, even with the kids. You know, I, I do talk to my kids about sex a lot. <laughs> I'm sure they really love it. And, <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, you know, it, it ends up being a really good conversation. But I think, you know, sex was something we just didn't talk about. So when, when I was prevent, presented with a sexual situation, I was young and I had no idea. Didn't know mm -hmm. what to do with that. And, um, and I kind of talked to my son about, you know, if anybody ever says this or anybody ever does that, you need to be careful. And, and there's times that I have definitely found myself like bursting into tears, watching the, chil the beautiful children in our family thinking, wow, at some point in my life, somebody looked at me and thought something horrible, you mm -hmm. know, and I was that when that mm -hmm. happened, you know, like, how does that happen? Right? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. insane. So, um, but I do think that women, um, we do need to be comfortable with our sexuality and our sensuality. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's something that I have really uh, started to embrace as an adult, because I do feel like I had these sort of like shaming and guilting experiences in my early twenties, because, you know, I was acting pretty wild, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. a little reckless. I was flirting with everyone. I was putting myself in situations that probably weren't unsafe, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, and so I had a little, I had this moment in my twenties too, where I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop doing all that. And I'm going to be married and I'm going to be straight edge and I'm going to, I'm going to be proper. Like my brain went through this phase. And then I just felt this sadness about it. Like this sadness of, of letting go of this giant part of me, like this, this movement part of me, this sensual part of me. And I think I got that back in yoga a little bit too. It's so funny, mm -hmm. but I, yoga like really helped me because yeah. there were these, um, there was this one class that we did and it had what well, we call it spanda vibration, right? And uh, we were doing these really slow movements, almost like you're like tracing the air and you can like feel everything like that, but you're also mm. combining it with flow and movement that way. And I was like, wow, what was that? Like, what is that that I'm feeling? Because that resonates with me. And I've kind of realized that sensuality and sexuality are different, right? They're, they're not the same thing. Mm. So to have sex with someone is a lot different than to move freely or to be friendly or to have a fluidity to your nature or mm. to, you know, have a feel or a presence or a vibration that's in the sensuality realm, which is very helpful in sexuality. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think it's so rare in our culture, touch, sensuality, freedom of physical expression, you know, intercourse and language, right? Like the, how do we talk to each other? Mm -hmm. um, and are we playful? What do we share? How deep do we get? All these things like that um, can be really misinterpreted by anyone because usually it's anything that intimate is related to a, you know, a sexual relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. And we, we can't, we can't see that maybe someone just is that, you know, or maybe someone just has that freedom of expression and that freedom in their movement. And maybe if I, you know, wear a low cut shirt or red lipstick or do myself up or something like that, I'm actually not trying to have sex with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Imagine that. Weird, but what a concept. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting. Maybe I could, you know, even touch your shoulder and it means nothing, you know? So Yeah. So well, I remember you said that during the, during the meetup, you, you were like, I, I'm going to come by and touch your head. And some people were like, no, you yeah. do not touch me. And you were like, 
you, you talked about the importance of, of touch and I totally agree with you. It should not be, I mean, it's sad how often, yeah. Yeah, it's like, don't mm -hmm. touch me. And it's like, but essentially we need touch. Like they have done uh, studies that show that babies who are untouched in orphanages actually die. And yeah. So, you know, um, and mm -hmm. it's, and sometimes I get a question as a massage therapist, like people, or they love to ask me questions, right? What if this person comes in and they're blah, 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 you know, like fill it in X, Y, Z, something yeah. that's gross, right? And I'm like, well, here's the thing. I'm like, I'm not here for me. Like, I believe in the healing power of touch and I believe in compassion. And so sometimes people come to my table and I might be the only person who touches them for weeks, mm -hmm. you know, or a year even. Like I, I've even had people in my massage room uh, tell me before, you know, I don't want to creep you out or anything, but I'm really grateful for this human contact because I don't have it in my life right now. Yeah. And, so, um, and so I can, I feel like, I can resonate so much with that because, um, because I understand the difference in touch. Like there's so there's therapeutic touch, there's healing touch, there's loving touch, there's sexual touch. And all of the confusing part is all of those things could intertwine in some settings. They should never intertwine, but, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but they can, right? Like if you're in a really beautiful relationship with your partner, then maybe you do have this amazing combination of therapeutic, healing, sensual, sexual touch, right? So, mm. but obviously in a relationship of like a client and a massage therapist, it's going to be that healing and therapeutic, which I remember having come from my background. When I went to massage school, we do, we do some like pelvic release work and I couldn't have it. Like I, I, I would just, my body would kick you out when you were trying to work on me. And it took years before you could work on certain muscles in my hips. And I wasn't even doing it consciously. Like mm -hmm. there's a story in the storage in your muscles and your bones and your body, your body tells the story of your life. And so I do think for me, had I not ever even come upon the touch, I don't even know if I would have come full circle in the healing process because I needed um, I had had the healing in, in, in the intimate touch with the partners that I was so fortunate to have. And, but that therapeutic touch or letting somebody touch you for no other reason than to heal you or take care of you or be there for you. I don't, I don't know that I had had that until I was in massage school. So mm -hmm. it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm like, gosh, I need to go get a massage. <laughs> you really should. There's like, that's just like one of the benefits of massage. It's like, you know, it's so sad too, because um, I, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, my entrance into yoga was pretty superficial. I thought it was sexy. That's why I did it. So um, I, and I was like, Ooh, I'll be flexible, which I already was, which is actually a problem sometimes in yoga. But anyways, that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> thank God I found this other information inside of it. So I wouldn't stay so shallow. Um, and then I came to massage because I wanted to travel. I didn't even know what it was. I never even had one. I didn't understand it at all. Everybody had these powerful stories when I went and I was like, I don't even want to say why I'm here. It was going to sound really lame. And it, it, it was a little bit, but the thing is, is that I ended up where I was supposed to be following my intuition, which is the one thing I've always been really good at. If yeah. something feels right, I've always been willing to chase it. And, you know, I think I was handed this uh, career 
um, in touch and in uh, teaching people how to connect themselves as a whole because I, I have the experience, you know, I have mm -hmm. this long journey with touch and with, uh, with self-healing. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing this part with us. I know it feels a little apprehensive at first, for sure. <laughs> like um, I lead with it or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, I, I also think that this is how we heal too, by speaking, but also for other people to hear, because I think there are so many people who need this message. I, rem I, I think if I would have heard this message when I was like, oh geez, I don't even know, younger for sure, I would have been like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know what I mean? But the more we can hear people's journeys and their experience and, and the fact that, you know, we're not alone, I think that's the huge power in the Me Too movement also is you, you're not alone. Like. Mm -mm. It can be so isolating and so uh, such a place where people can go, where it rules them, it has complete power over them. And so I think to hear other people's journeys and, and to hear your message, it's just so powerful and so helpful, I know, for so many people. So thank you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's always... It's something I've always been willing to share in the right setting for the, you know, for the right people, because it is healing to hear, not just that somebody has gone through the same thing as you, but to hear that they have made positive steps in their lives, you know, uh, even, yeah. you know, but not having to deal with things in the same, uh, in the same degree that it once was and, and, and that it be, and that it can become more quiet in your mind so that it can become more of a footnote in your background and, maybe I refer to it or I have moments where it's triggered or I have something like that, but it certainly isn't like my first thought of every day. It's not even a thought of every day. It's mm -hmm. just something that I'm conscious of that has shaped me as a person and shaped me as a professional as well. Right. It's a chapter. It's a chapter in your story. And then you get to move forward and you get to continue to write your story in a different way. You don't remove it from the book. No. <laughs> but it doesn't, no. it doesn't become the entire book either. It's, it's an experience that molded you, which I yeah. totally agree. We'll have like a little resentment for the depth that it gave me sometimes, you know, like to where you're kind of like, people will meet you and they're like, oh, you're so much older than your age. And you're like, yeah, really don't want to know why, but yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, yeah. A little resentment sometimes for, for the experience, but mm -hmm. also gratitude for the wisdom. Totally. Well, and I love that you continue to seek growth. Like you said earlier, you didn't go to counseling or anything like that, but I think you chose growth in your own way and in your own path. And I think it's different for everyone. I don't think counseling is necessarily the answer for everybody. I think that you find what fits for you and your path with learning about massage and yoga, that was healing and that brought you new knowledge and new awareness. And I love that <laughs> the GI Joe quote, knowing is half the battle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, I think, um, I think too, like, I don't know that I, 
consciously chose not to have counseling. So I think that that's something that I think, I think maybe because of the guilt and the shame of sexual trauma and my background, it wouldn't have been something, I think, I think I almost like took ownership of it, which I don't think is healthy, actually. Mm -hmm. I think it was a little bit one of those things where I was like, well, this happened to me. And I think, I don't know if I was searching for fault in it for a long time, perhaps. I'm not sure. I don't know if I even fully got through that thought process, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't even know that I considered counseling as something I should even consider. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I think it was just like, get over it, move on in my brain, right. which is not totally. really a good idea. <laughs> well, totally. I, counseling wasn't a part of my process either until much, much later. Now I've gone to counseling, but not until actually I went to school to be a counselor. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, <laughs> like, oh yeah, maybe I should try counseling so I can see what other people are experiencing. Right. And so that was my first experience with counseling um, was so that I could experience being the client and it was, and then I went for three years. I still have a therapist that I see. I think it's good to have them in our back pocket. <laughs> yeah, because we're all for real sure. crazy sometimes. And like, you know, I kind of realized that after I had my son, I, in hindsight, I realized, you know, when my son was born, um, it was a brutal year. First of all, it was like, the last time we had a big drought was 2012 Mm -hmm. and it was the Mm -hmm. rise of like a lot of violence like ISIS came to platform I saw things on the internet I could never unsee um Mm -hmm. I saw uh the there was a little girl who was killed in our area there was Newtown that year so Mm -hmm. I realized when I look back on that year because I was in this constant state of anxiety probably hyper protective due to choice, you know, my existence in my past. Yeah. Uh, and I realized I probably like, I was like, oh my God, I had like PTSD or something because yeah. I was so um, terrified. I would like, I would like think somebody was going to kill us. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so I think that there's definitely times in my life where I wish I would have realized the value of talking to someone and um, I'm kind of a do it yourself kind of person. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I kind of encourage people to have someone to talk to. If you don't have a friend that you can talk to, they really do. Yeah. And really you shouldn't put the burden of some of that really heavy stuff on yeah. friends regularly. You know? so, but here's yeah. the other piece though, too, that you have that a lot of people don't have. And that's the ability to listen to your own self. Yeah. And I, I think so there's a balance there, right? Like talking to someone is huge and talking to yourself is even bigger. <laughs> I yeah. think to know what you need within your own self is this piece that I feel like it gets missed way, 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 way too much. Yeah, it's important to hear your thoughts. And, and also, and that's something I love about meditation is that, you know, a lot of people think that meditation is this practice of having a still mind, which is, first of all, not possible <laughs> and unrealistic. And what it really is, is this um, ability to sort your thoughts, to see something and put it down for a second. Um, so to be like, yeah, that's a thing, totally. And then be like, I'm going to think about something else. So it's like a way of learning how to move your thoughts around. So I think, you know, uh, there are definitely, and I don't think I'm unique in this way at all, um, major fears that I have or moments of like, 
impressive paranoia or things like that Mm -hmm. where I can wrap myself around the idea that I'm being crazy and um and I think that that comes from again this yoga practice and this meditation and a lot of a lot of opportunity to work on these problems you know um Mm. so I think I think that it's it can't be discounted I think it is I agree with you something that is being missed is your own responsibility in your healing yeah. Hmm. All right. I could just keep talking to you. We're going to have to get together more outside of this because I've even realized that we have horses in common, yeah. which I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. I love horses too so Me much. Too. My other spiritual teachers. <laughs> yes. It's so true. It is so true. I'm like, I want horses again so bad. It's ah. like my big, huge goal in life is to have them again. You'll have so to he's a total nerd. What? You'll have to come meet my horse sometime. He's a oh, I would love to. Hung out all the time. He's really gross, but I love him. He's like <laughs> a golden retriever, but a horse. That's awesome. We sold my horse when Logan, Logan was also born the same year as your son. We sold him when Logan was like probably six months old or a year old. So I, the last five years, I've not had a horse Uh-oh. and, oh, it's so devastating. <laughs> my parents are the reason I get to still have a horse and they're, they're awesome. You know, they, they yeah. take care of them and, and make awesome. sure good. <laughs> good. All right. So let me ask you, uh, these questions. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know, what do you think has been the most vital to your growth? So 100% personal accountability in my own healing. I think, um, it's, again so and i and i really want to be careful not to uh look down on anybody who's really stuck in in the victim space because i think most of us are there at least a little while mm-hmm. um but i have been defiant against the concept of being a victim in in all circumstances so um that's a very hard thing to do and i think that it comes from a self love right the and self compassion like we talked about a few weeks ago so loving yourself in a way that you understand that you have good intentions, you have good thoughts, you have value, you have purpose, you have um, something to contribute to the world. Uh, we call that dharma in yoga. It's actually like a birthright in yoga, the, the ability mm. to contribute to the world. And that doesn't mean your job. It's just, it can be your, your heart, your calling, uh, just your your place in the fabric of everything that is, and so um, so that self love comes from there, and then that self love or self compassion, the ability to forgive yourself for making mistakes or uh, to understand that sometimes the judgments that come on you are actually judgments we all experience broad as the culture scape. So sometimes like, uh, like growing up with my parents, realizing that because we didn't align politically or something like that doesn't actually make me a bad person or them a bad person. Like we can still be friends and be different. Mm-hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I can have compassion for them and they can have compassion for me. And I think that that practice of learning that, um, that I'm not right all the time, uh, and that I make mistakes and that that's okay, Mm -hmm. uh, was a huge part of it, but it's also a major, major piece of that personal accountability because I think what I've learned has been the most healing for me is to forgive people. That's my job. Like no one can Mm -hmm. do that. for me. And if I don't forgive people, they sit here in my brain 
for my whole life. And that's on me if I let that happen. If I let somebody live in my brain, again, rent-free, that is all me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I can do that. I can make that choice, but it's too taxing. Um, forgiveness has been this incredible piece of my personal accountability. And then also keeping my goals in sight. So am I really, am I holding myself accountable for making the life that I want, not, not just falling into my circumstances? And, uh, and then the accountability to learn from my lessons and to seek, um, seek the advice of people I love and trust and then hear it, you know? hear it and use it. And so I do think that, like you said, again, this, this practice of hearing your own thoughts and sitting with yourself and being really like willing to see the great things about you as often as the shitty parts about you, which I think we're a little bit better at seeing sometimes that we wallow, like, so not wallowing. (laughs) I think, um, I think that that's just this really important piece of healing and growth. Awesome. All right. So what do you want to make sure that people know walking away from this? Um, That you're not a victim of your circumstances, that you have, uh, no matter what you're handed, no matter your basket, like it's kind of like chopped, right? They give you a bunch of weird stuff and you can make something out of it. I think that you can make something beautiful out of anything, whatever it is that you're, I mean, you can even look at these incredible, I, I look to, um, I love to study like world culture. And sometimes you see these cultures that have just nothing and they make these incredible, amazing creations and community and everything out of, you know, this tiny little piece of something that we might have here. And I think if you just can walk away from your misfortunes, understanding that they're a piece of you, but also just never miss that opportunity for gratitude or forgiveness or strength or lose that step of believing that you have something to contribute and that no matter what happens to you, you should still do that. Mm. I think that, um, that's my, what I'd like people to take away is just Mm. this idea that your story is your story and it's important, Mm. but you are the author, you write it. So if you want to make a little edit in there, or if you want to make something a footnote or a smaller chapter, then you can do that and you should. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for that. All right. So how can people get in touch with you? How can they follow you, get to know you better, uh, connect Um, with you? (laughs) So the timing's kind of funny for this because I am in the process of creating a lot of things. But um, in the next couple of weeks here, I'm hoping next week, actually, that you can find me at my website, uh, rosechatel.com. And there is a uh, like uh, email link through there so that I can respond to you through email. That's probably the best way. I'm also building a group for my brands called Flow Steady Yoga and Wellness. So I'll have a private group on Facebook soon that I'd love for people to join. And I'll probably have a professional Facebook page at some point, but for now, I just have my personal one. If you uh, want to send me a message through Messenger, you can find me underneath my name. I'm a little, I don't, I don't usually let people friend me that I don't know in person on Facebook, uh, just because I have little people in my life and the world's getting too connected. <laughs> but we need uh, to chat about this. We need to chat about yeah, this. Right, exactly. <laughs> so there's so much we can talk about, right? But I know. I would direct you to one of those particular uh spaces for now, particularly awesome. on the website if you are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram, but I am really bad at Instagram. Okay. I need to get better at Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've just recently started 
paying more attention to Instagram. Yeah. But it's so hard. People- I'm on Rose Chatel Yoga is how you'll find me. And, and you can find me there and wait uh, a little while and it will become a more interesting page. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. we can't wait. I know people are going to be super happy to be connected with you. And so thank you so, so much for being here today, for sharing your heart, for yeah. sharing your story with all of us. I mean, I think it makes it makes us all better. So thank you for being brave and for speaking your truth and helping us grow. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the platform to share the story. Okay, lovelies, how are you doing? Wasn't that just absolutely wonderful? I really appreciate and value Rose's ability to go to the places she went with us and to help shed some light in the places that oftentimes stay left in the shadows. I know I could relate to her in many, many ways, and it's just so healing in itself to know that we're not alone, right? We're not alone in this journey. She has a beautiful way of talking about touch and sensuality, which I know based on my own history, I tend to shy away from. So thank you so much, Rose, for sharing your truth with all of us. Your bravery and authenticity are healing and help us all on our journeys as well. I encourage you all to get connected with Rose. You can find her on her soon-to-come website, rosechatel.com, on Facebook and on Instagram. So those links will be in the show notes. Thank you for joining us on our 20th episode. Remember to dive into all of our other interviews for more encouragement and inspiration to step into your truth and become the author of your own growth. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.